Good evening. <clears throat> Glad y'all could make it this evening. We're going to be uh, in the book of Joel tonight, okay? So if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, uh, you have Daniel, Hosea, and then Joel, and then Amos, okay? So Joel comes right after Hosea. And it's a short uh, book. It's only three chapters long. And the, uh, the main themes of the book are judgment, repentance, and restoration. And so we're going to be looking at that tonight and next week too. And uh, it just so happens when I guess Scott was making the assignments for who was going to teach on Wednesday nights, and he assigned me Joel, it just happens to be the same one I taught two years ago. So I was able to just resurrect my notes and... and uh, uh, read through the book of Joel about a hundred times, uh, and I'm not sure that I'm still ready, but uh, we want to start with prayer. So let's pray and ask God to, to bless this time and to give us wisdom and guidance in his word. Father, we know that all wisdom comes from you and that uh, the wisdom of man accomplishes nothing of uh, eternal significance, Lord. So tonight we pray for your wisdom. We pray for insight into your scriptures uh, to see what uh, the prophet Joel uh, said then and, and even now says to us. Lord, help us to, to see the gospel here because it's clearly here. Uh, just guide us. Keep, keep me out of the way tonight and just let your word speak, Father. I pray that uh, this would be a time of uh, a good productive time for us. And I'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, we're going to start out by just reading the whole first chapter of Joel, and then I'll come back and make some commentary. Uh, but I'd like to read the first chapter because it gives a very good introduction to what's, what follows. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, O inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers, tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn. The ministers of the Lord fields are destroyed, the, grounds, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar, go in, pass the night in sackcloth, 
O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down, because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed, because there is no pasture for them, even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Okay, so that's the first chapter, and it pretty well describes the uh, ecological, agricultural disaster that has fallen on the land. Uh, you can imagine, I mean, we live in such a, uh, we have such a sheltered life, and our lives are really basically so easy. Uh, if you think about what it would be like if your entire livelihood depended upon raising crops that you would raise, uh, raising uh, trees that would provide food for you, uh, grapevines, and suddenly all these things are gone. They're wiped completely out. Okay? So basically the food is, is very, very scarce. There's just not much. And uh, this probably occurred over several years. This probably wasn't something that just came in, hit them, you know, for six months and then was gone. Uh, it's very likely that this occurred over several years. Uh, there's both a, an invasion of locusts and there's drought. Uh, it, it talks about how the brooks have dried up. There's no grass, okay? Uh, the, uh, of course, the locusts eat grass. Uh, uh, we're gonna, I'd like to show a couple of pictures of locusts. Uh, they're a problem even today, okay? Uh, the desert locust is feared over in the Middle East and Africa and so forth. This is just a picture uh, of a modern-day uh, locust swarm. And you can see they just literally cover the ground. Uh, and they, they're, they're in the air. Look, uh, there's other pictures that I found on the Internet, but a lot of them were, you know, they were copyrighted, and I didn't feel right about bringing them in and showing them in here. But uh, uh, just, just the, uh, the sheer number of them, they, they number in the billions. Uh, they've estimated 50 billion locusts. Uh, in, sw in these swarms, and they eat like 80 tons of crops a day. That's, uh, that, that just kind of gives you an idea of the level of devastation that can occur. And those are modern figures. Those are figures that have uh, come out of uh, recent times, uh, probably in the last 100, 150 years, of keeping records on locusts in the Middle East. And uh, these things can travel for thousands of miles, uh, and uh, they... Uh, they have different stages. It's kind of interesting because uh, the locusts are endemic. Uh, you can go over in the Middle East and you can find desert locusts in the land, okay? Uh, like we have grasshoppers, okay? They're very similar to grasshoppers. Uh, the problem is if the environmental conditions get right and other, other things happen, these locusts that are called solitary locusts, they'll start to congregate and as they congregate and become gregarious and multiply and multiply and multiply in these big swarms, they actually change, their bodies change. 
they undergo a morphological change and they become different. Okay, it's, it's kind of like a science fiction movie almost, you know. Uh, but uh, they do tremendous damage, and so uh, they were very feared. Uh, the other locust, the the, the great locust uh, plague that we have read about in the scriptures is in the tenth chapter of Exodus, and so we can turn there and look real quick and see what happened there. Uh, probably many of you are familiar with that. Uh, Exodus chapter ten. Uh, <clears throat> Moses goes before Pharaoh this is the eighth plague and he says let my people go and Pharaoh of course says I'm not going to do it and so Moses says for if you refuse to let my people go behold tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field and they shall fill your houses and your, the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither, uh, neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came on earth to this day. And then over in verse uh, 13 it says, So Moses stretched out his staff over the, the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants of the field of the land and, and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither uh, tree nor plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. So you can see these locusts were extremely destructive. Uh, and it, it's just hard for us to imagine in our day and time that kind of, of uh, desolation that would affect our uh, dinner table that very next hour, okay? Uh, what are we going to eat? And uh, so as we know, when, when people begin to uh, suffer want, uh, one of two things can happen. Uh, they can recognize their need for God Okay, and they can uh, repent, they can pray, they can, uh, they can ask God for uh, forgiveness of sin, for uh, restoration of the land, or they can become uh, indifferent to God and basically uh, become angry at God or they can blame God uh, for the situation and uh, be completely ignorant of the fact that uh, this is a judgment. Uh, it depends on what you, how you see God. Is God, uh, is he like, a, like Santa Claus? You know, if I do good, God blesses me. If I don't do good, he, he judges me. Uh, uh, but I, I've been pretty good. And so why is this happening? Uh, so I think what we're going to see is that the, the people in uh, Joel's time didn't really initially recognize that this was even a judgment of God. And it required that after it had been going on long enough to where there wasn't anything left, the prophet had to get the word from God and tell them this is a judgment, okay? And so uh, you, you people need to pay attention to what's going on, and there are some very specific things to do, okay? So as we read in the first chapter, uh, we had a locust plague and we had a drought. Now, we don't know much about Joel, and we don't even know when this uh, book was written, actually. Uh, there are different theories about when it was written. Some think it was written around 900 B.C., uh, before the uh, captivity. Others think it was written somewhere around the 4th or 5th century B.C. after 
the captivity and the people came back, okay? There's evidence to support both, but frankly, nobody really knows uh, for sure. The name Joel means Yahweh is God, okay? And he was the son of Pethuel, and Pethuel's name means persuaded of God. And that's about all we know. It's interesting that if you look at some of the other uh, minor prophets, uh, Hosea, Micah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all of them start basically the same way that the, that the prophecy of Joel starts. It says, the word of the Lord came to Joel, okay? Uh, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Haggai, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. Micah, the word of the Lord came to Micah. So these prophets are claiming that what they say is not their own words, but the word of the Lord. And we can go back to 2 Peter 1.21, where Peter talks about the, the fact that these prophets were not speaking of their own accord, but they were being carried along by the Spirit, and they were speaking what the Spirit told them to speak. And again, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians that these things were written for reminders to us. Okay, So what is Joel? Well, it can be a reminder to us. It can also be a picture of the gospel, which it is, okay? So, <clears throat> so we see that these recurring attacks of locusts had eaten all the vegetation. There was no wine. There was no grapes. There were no fig trees. Uh, and it's interesting if you look at uh, the verse uh, where it talks about fig trees being stripped uh, and, the, and the vine. In verse 7, he says, it has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. In other words, God's saying, these things are mine, okay? It's my vine and my fig tree, and these locusts have devoured my things, okay? So we have to remember one of the problems that we have, uh, and one of the problems that I think these people had was the problem of materialism, okay? They began to think that what God had given them was theirs, that they had grown these fig trees you know, out of their own efforts. They had raised these crops. They had uh, grown these vines. And uh, God says, these are mine. These things are mine. And we need to remember that everything that we have is God's. Um, okay, the fields are dried up, uh, drought and locusts. Uh, trees can't produce any fruit. Seed won't germinate in the ground because of the drought. There's no moisture in the ground, so the seed can't germinate. All the grain reserves, they had these basically old-fashioned silos, which you see grain silos now, uh, but back then it was, they, looked, they, were, they were different, but they had torn them down okay, because they had to use up all their grain reserves. They were gone. Everything was gone. They had reached a point basically where they were on the, they were on the bubble in terms of you know, just basically even surviving. They still had some livestock, and the livestock didn't have anything to drink, and the sheep had a hard time. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, that if you watch any of the old westerns where the, the sheep herders and the cattlemen are having their feuds, it was because the sheep always eat the grass right down to the ground. And the cattle don't do that. The cattle will eat the grass and leave some, uh, maybe an inch or two of pasture. But the sheep will eat it right down to the right down to the very ground, and so 
when the when the sheep would get into the to the pasture first, of course they did everything, and then the cattlemen would be mad because there wasn't anything left for the cattle. So they have these wars between sheep herders and cattlemen, you know, and uh, so that was. But that's what that was what was going on there. It just simply wasn't even any grass for the sheep. Uh, there could have been wildfires. One of the things that uh, is done to uh, get rid of locusts uh, back in this time, and maybe even being used today some, is digging big trenches. And the locusts will swarm and, and fill these trenches, and they'll set them on fire. And because uh, things were dry, if there was any tinder at all, uh, you can think that uh, there, there could have been fire as well. We don't know for sure, because the fire could simply be... Uh, uh, an allegory to uh, the uh, uh, just the, the destruction of the locusts and the, and the drought. So, uh, what does one eat when the crops have all been destroyed? Uh, you can eat locusts. There's lots of them. Okay. Uh, the uh, in Leviticus 11:20 uh, through 23, it's talking about what's clean and what's uh, unclean. And it basically says in those verses that uh, of the insects, you aren't supposed to eat anything except you can eat locusts. And so uh, it gave people the, the ability then, the, the, under the law, to, to be able to eat locusts and not be defiled. Okay? So when we know that in Matthew, uh, it talks about John the Baptist, uh, his, lo- his diet was regularly uh, locusts and wild honey. And so he subsisted on locusts. So they did have locusts to eat, but I would imagine that after a while, uh, that would get kind of old. Uh, but anyway, uh, so you can kind of see the situation they were in. They were, it was really desperate. Uh, they had gotten uh, into a, a serious situation. And this wasn't just a run of bad luck. This actually was a, a judgment brought about by God because of spiritual apathy and lack of true worship and obedience. Uh, if you look back in Deuteronomy 28, 38, this is the part of Deuteronomy where uh, Moses is talking about the, he, he's, he's speaking uh, for God, and he's talking about the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> in verse uh, 33, I'm sorry, 39, he says, You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. And uh, he says uh, in verse 37, You shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples, where the Lord will lead you away. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather it, gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. Uh, so in back in Deuteronomy, one of the curses that God told the people for their disobedience would be that they would have problems with locusts. He would send locusts. And so this is a fulfillment of that curse. Okay? So, what are they supposed to do? Joel's message was addressed to the various people that are, and you can see these throughout the first chapter. The elders, 
These are the old men. He says, do you remember, or have you heard anything like what's happening now in Israel? Okay. Uh, in other words, what you're, what's going on now, you, don't, you will not remember because it has never happened before. He talks to all the inhabitants of the land. He says, tell your children. Pass this account down to future generations. Uh, you know, that's back in Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, people were exhorted to tell their children about what God had done at Sinai and how he had led them out of the land of Egypt, okay, and had given them the law and these statutes, and they were supposed to tell their children about these. So, and their children were supposed to pass this on. Do you know how, when they got into the promised land, uh, do you know how many generations were faithful to God before they started having problems? Anybody know? One. Yeah. It was one generation. It was a generation that actually came in and, and, and was there with Joshua. Okay? And when they died off, the very next generation that came along started worshiping the, the false gods. Okay? So, do you think they told their children? I mean, I'm just asking, what do you think? You think they told their children about all these things? It said they were faithful. Is it enough to tell? I guess that's the question I'm asking. Okay. Why is it not enough to tell? What, what else needs to happen? It's got to be lived out. That's right. How much use does a child have for things their parents tell them to do if they don't see their parents modeling that behavior? If they don't see their parents valuing the things that they're telling them to value, you know, and so that's a, you know, do as I say, but not as I do kind of thing. And, you know, we can all be guilty of that. Uh, in our flesh, we tend towards self-righteousness. And uh, so we can develop, a, we can be self-righteous in our, in our teaching of our children, you know, and in Ephesians, we were just talking about Ephesians uh, uh, last Sunday when uh, Brad was talking about marriage. But there's also, if you go on, it talks about raising children. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. You know, the idea is we're to nurture our children and bring them up in the right way. And the right way involves us not only t teaching them what to do, but also modeling that behavior for them so they, can, so they see that we mean what we say. And it, it's, it's as important to us as we say it should be to them. So um, that's, but there again, uh, we don't know for sure what happened, but we know that it only took one generation. Okay, he goes on and he says, drunkards, those who are asleep, uh, what, does, what does sleep uh, typically uh, signify in the scriptures when we talk about sleep, being asleep? I'm sorry, what? Laziness, yes. Slothfulness. Uh, death, okay. Huh? Unattentive, yeah. When he says, uh, in verse 5, he says, to the drunkards, those who are asleep, wake up. Okay, wake up. Uh, they become spiritually lazy and dull. 
and uh, they didn't recognize this disaster was judgment, and that they were to respond to it. There's a very specific response they were to have to, towards God's judgment. Uh, if you look in Mark 13, 32 through 37, Jesus has a warning about being asleep. Uh, I'm going to turn in Mark. It's kind of dark up here, and I don't see real good in the low light. He's talking about the, uh, the coming of the day of, of the Lord, of his second coming. And he says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the, the time will come. It was like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and uh, puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the, the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say, I say to you all, stay awake. Okay, so uh, there's an exhortation from Jesus for us to stay awake. He's talking to his disciples, and we are his disciples, okay? And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 is another ex exhortation to be awake. Starting in verse 4 through 6. It says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And again, he's been talking about the day of the Lord. For, is it, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who are asleep, uh, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of the hope of salvation. Okay, so there's going to sleep, becoming spiritually sleepy, uh, uh, and being becoming dull are problems that can plague all of us, and in fact do. Uh, I I struggle with it. Okay, I really do. I struggle with with this spiritual dullness, with with being asleep. With, uh, with getting lackadaisical. Uh, and what was happening in, in uh, Joel's day was apparently, it was an epidemic of, of spiritual apathy. Um, so in light of the fact that this disaster was a judgment from God, Joel told the people to do these things. In verse 2 he said, Hear, listen, give ear, I was thinking about verse Hebrews uh, 2.1 where Paul says, we, or the, the writer of Hebrews, I'm sorry, says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Okay? Tell your children. Okay? Be awake. Weep. Weep because of, of, the, of your sin. Wail. Lament. 
be ashamed, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was made out of goat's hair, okay? It was coarse material. I typically think of it like burlap, and it was probably similar in, in texture to burlap. So it was a very uncomfortable thing to wear. And typically, in this situation, you would wear it. That's all you'd wear. It'd be right next to your skin. Uh, pass the night in sackcloth. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather elders and inhabitants. Cry out to the Lord. Okay. So these are things that, that uh, in chapter 1, the prophet said, these people from the Lord, the word of the Lord said, do these things. Okay. Wail, lament. Okay, so why is it critical for them to obey the word of God spoken to Joel? Okay, because the very next chapter says something worse is coming. You thought this was bad, you think this is bad? Wait, because the, the dreadful day of the Lord is coming. Okay, so we're going to read some of chapter 2 now. Back to this. It's easier to read. He says, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread... Well... Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through all years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a, de a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Okay, so we're going to stop right there for right now. He describes the, the great and awful day of the Lord here. Okay, now, in the Old Testament, when disasters would happen, okay, they were often referred to, this was the day of the Lord, but there, there's also this great and awful day of the Lord that's coming. It's the final judgment. And <clears throat> it looks like Joel here, this, there's a lot of controversy about the second chapter of Joel, okay? Because it looks like there is a, a alliteration to the, uh, uh, the locusts, but this also is an army that's that's more than just the locust invasion they just had, okay? Uh, it's like nobody can escape this army. And they're going to be, they're, they're vast and like the, like the locusts. Uh, the locusts swarm was huge. This army is going to be huge. Uh, they're going to they're gonna 
move forward like the locusts move forward. And so there's, uh, you know, when is he talking about a, an army of people or some kind of beings, and when is he talking about the locusts? Well, it kind of goes back and forth, okay? But what he's describing here is the day of the Lord when things are going to be very bad. Uh, and he's talking about this army, and notice that in uh, uh, verse 11, it says the Lord utters his voice before his army. This is God's army, okay? It is an army of destruction. It's an army of judgment. And he says uh, that the, the camp is exceedingly great. His camp is exceedingly great, okay? So we, we can pay attention in, in Joel to the personal pronouns like my fig trees, okay? Uh, my vines, and God's is his army, it's his camp, okay? So realizing here that, again, we're not talking about dualism, about the battle between good and evil here. We're talking about God is executing judgment uh, himself, okay? This isn't Satan battling God, so Satan brings his big bad army in here, and, you know, and he's fighting, fighting out with God. This is God's judgment, okay, on people. So you have, this, you have this back and forth thing, okay? Now the characteristics of the day of the Lord, darkness, gloom, clouds, thick darkness, an attacking army, okay? Uh, he says, blow a trumpet in Zion, okay? The trumpet was used to warn of impending uh, invasion or disaster. Uh, it's a warning that the day of the Lord is coming is near. Now, the, the day of the Lord did not come here, apparently, okay? This was a warning that it's about to happen, uh, but when he says, who can endure it, what he's describing here is a situation where there won't be anybody left. It's, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's thorough. Uh, it's complete. And so, what he's, but he's saying, you know, this is, look at, what you're, look at what you're dealing with now, and what's imminent is this complete and total judgment. So you need to repent. You need to repent. Okay, uh, the day of the Lord is mentioned uh, in a number of Old Testament prophets and also in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, was talk Paul was talking about it in 1 Thessalonians where we just went. But uh, in Amos, Amos was, uh, in his prophecy, uh, there were some people who actually wanted the day of the Lord to come. And in chapter 5 of Amos, he says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned on his hand on the wall and a scorpion bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? So there were actually some people, it looks like in, in Israel, that were wanting uh, the day of the Lord to come, maybe because they thought, from now we'll get vengeance on our enemies. Now we'll get vengeance. We'll be, we'll be vindicated. You know, we'll, this is going to vindicate us. And Amos is saying, it's not what you think. Okay? Uh, we need to examine ourselves. You know? Examine yourselves. Are you going to be one of the ones that swept away in the day of the Lord by judgment because uh, you are... Uh, you're basically 
God's enemy. You know, that's what he's saying to these people. You know, don't desire this. You know, you're not, you're not, you don't know what you're asking for. Uh, it's going to be really bad, and, and uh, there's not going to be any way to escape it. And so uh, there was obviously some spiritual pride here involved. Uh, I have to be honest with you, I've been struggling a lot lately with, uh, with what's been going on over in uh, Iraq and Syria with ISIS. Uh, the brutality, just the you know the, the mayhem that's going on over there, and you know really wanting God to do something, you know God, you know execute just judgment on these people that are doing this, you know. Uh, it, it's been I've struggled with that. I, I have to be honest with you, and I also have to realize that you know there may be some of those guys that God wants to save. There may be some of those those guys that are they're doing those horrific things that that could be some of God's elect that just haven't, just haven't uh, come to faith yet. I don't know. You know but I think uh, as, as angry as that makes me to see that, I have to resist the temptation to just want to see God wipe them out. You know, because uh, uh, when you read what's going on over there, it's, it's just the atrocities are just almost unspeakable. You know, they really are. And we really need to pray for our brothers and sisters uh, that are undergoing this kind of, of, uh, of persecution because uh, it's nothing like anything we've ever seen. Okay, uh, Not to say that at some point in time we might experience the same thing, but for, that, for now, God has seen fit not to do that with us yet. Okay, But we certainly need to be praying for these people. Uh, and if you can find some publications that even have some names in them, uh, pray specifically for people named who are in jail over there, or prisoned, uh, or whatever, being held. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I think we need to be careful about, uh, about desiring God's judgment to come down on people. Uh, you know, so uh, that's, I think that's the message Amos has here, is, you know, don't uh, don't desire the day of the Lord because uh, you might you might be one of the ones that gets done away with. And uh, so anyway, uh, at the end here, uh, we stopped at verse eleven, and we're going to go ahead and read uh, verses thirteen through seventeen, and just kind of touch on them briefly. And then next week we're going to pick up and deal with them in detail. So. He's just said, you know, the earth quakes before this army, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, and for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And when he talks about his voice, remember in, uh, in Exodus when the people were at Mount Sinai, and God spoke, and they said, we can't endure this. Don't let God speak to us anymore. We can't endure that. You speak to us, but don't let him speak to us. You know, we don't want to hear from him anymore. So the Lord's voice is, is terrifying in, in a situation like this. Okay, Terrifying. And yet, he says in verse uh, 12, he says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and let the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Okay, so several things we see here. We see that God is merciful. God does not want to destroy these people. Okay? He wants them to turn. He wants them to come back to him. And it's a plea, okay? Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. You know, uh, Psalm 103 says, uh, uh, God is uh, gracious and merciful. Uh, he will not always strive with us. He will, but, and he will not keep his anger forever. Uh, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Uh, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the loving kindness of, of the Lord towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Okay? So God is a merciful God. He's a, and and that's, what, that's the message here. You know? That's the gospel. That you, know, you deserve judgment. You deserve the day of the Lord. You deserve this, this army that's just going to overwhelm everything, destroy everything, kill everybody. You know? But instead, return to me. Return to the Lord. Okay? And uh, so then there are specific instructions that we'll look at next week as far as the, uh, as the uh, repentance, the repenting goes. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> When Paul was talking to the Corinthians about the way they conducted their church service, you know, and they had people speaking in tongues, jumping up and speaking in tongues, this guy doing this, this guy doing that. And Paul says, you know, let everything be done decently and in order. Okay? God wants things done decently and in order. He wants repentance done decently and in order. He doesn't want everybody out there in a free-for-all, you know, rolling around on the ground in sackcloth and ashes. And, you know, he's he's got a specific way he wants them to repent here. Okay? And he calls in everybody. It's everybody. It's, it's all the way down to babies. Okay? Like that baby right over there. Okay? Uh, everybody down to babies. Nobody gets exempted from this. Okay? Everybody has to participate. Okay? And he, he tells them what they're supposed to do. Uh, you know, they're supposed, to, they're supposed to put on sackcloth and they're supposed to pass the night in sackcloth. And they're supposed to cry out to God. Okay? There are specific things that they're supposed to do. And, and so uh, I think that's kind of interesting because God gives specific instructions. Just like in Exodus, how he gave specific instructions for how the tabernacle was supposed to be built. Down to the last detail. Well, here he's calling the people to repentance. And he gives them specific instructions about how they're to repent. Okay? And so uh, God is a God of order. Not a God of chaos. Okay, I'm going to stop here. It's five minutes till seven, and I 
really want to respect the, uh, the nursery and uh, the nursery workers and the babies that are in there and the young children who uh, probably are getting tired tonight. And so I don't want to go too long. So we'll pick up here next week and we'll go ahead and talk about the restoration and uh, the blessings. And then we'll talk about the, uh, there's also in chapter 3, uh, uh, God, they talk about the final judgment. Joel talks about the final judgment in chapter 3. So we'll go through all of that, okay? But uh, for, not, for tonight, we're done. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the message from Joel. Thank you that uh, you are a God of mercy, that you are a God who forgives, that you are a God who uh, restores. Lord, I, I, wanted, I do want to pray especially tonight for those uh, believers in Syria and uh, Iraq and Iran and other countries in that part of the world, Father, who are under intense physical persecution. Uh, many are being killed, Lord. Uh, and the ones that aren't being killed have been run out of their homes. They've basically left everything behind and they're running for their lives. Father, I pray for your mercy on them. I pray for your protection and your strength for them, Lord. And Lord, I do pray that their persecutors, uh, I, I believe, Lord, that among, some, among them there, there may be some elect, there may be some that, that uh, will see the, the gospel in, uh, in the way these people uh, are conducting themselves, the way that, and they can hear the truth of your word and believe it. And, and so, Father, I, I pray for that. Uh, but I also uh, pray, Lord, that, uh, that you, would, you would intervene somehow, Father, in this, uh, to restrain this, this terrible persecution. Uh, so many are dying. And, Lord, I just pray that uh, uh, you, would, you would intervene, Lord, and spare them. Thank you for this time we've had tonight, Lord. Uh, pray that uh, we could learn some more from Joel, that uh, it would uh, make a difference in the way we conduct ourselves and the way we live and the way we relate to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.